0: Hello, and you're very welcome to Mind You, where I dive into how different people use different ways to self-care. I'm Brian Barnes from Brian Barnes Wellbeing, where I partner with people to create unique well-being solutions. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Gillian O'Shea Brown. Gillian has a huge passion for serving and minding others through her work as a psychotherapist, as a complex trauma specialist as an adjunct professor at New York University and the author of Healing Complex Post Traumatic Stress Disorder. So Julian, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me and it's coming, you know, recording here in New York. It's so lovely to be talking with someone at home in Ireland, <laughs> in, uh, Wexford no doubt, you know, a lovely corner of the world. And I I, um, admire your podcast and what you're doing. So thank you for having me.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And you're so welcome. And Julian, can you start off by telling me a bit about yourself and how you got to here?
1: Okay. Uh, Wow. (laughs) So I grew up in Cork and um, I went to college in UCC. And I was very lucky, actually, because... um, I've really met, I met friends in those college years that are forever friends. And, um, you know, we still see each other all the time, even though I'm across the Atlantic. And um, I ended up in Dublin, actually, or in Wicklow, Wicklow, South Dublin, uh, working with uh, what was the HSC at the time, but it's now called TUSLA. And um, I was actually doing the assessments for child protection And I ended up doing a lot of um, forensic style interviews of people that had making recent and retrospective disclosures of child sexual abuse. And then also, you know, interviewing the perpetrators, writing up reports, and then those reports would get furnished for the legal process, which I was kind of outside of all of that. Um, And hearing these stories of people, you know, the parents, the children, in their most vulnerable moments it was heartbreaking but I noticed through that work there was a huge difference between the person the the child that made the disclosure went home told their parents they were compassionately witnessed protective steps were taken and then they were made to feel safe and um, compared to the people that flew in from let's say London they had been on a sobriety journey they had harbored A shameful and secretive past history of trauma for 20 or 30 years. And when I met them, I could feel the pain etched on their faces and the lives that these half lives of numbing and self-destruction and not trusting and, and fear of vulnerability that they had lived. And I noticed just, you know, in those years of work that the people that, you know, were really holding on to a a shameful, secretive, painful past history of trauma that festered on the inside, that it, it really burdened them. And it, it made them feel very meek and apologetic in the way they moved through the world. And I wasn't a therapist at that time. I, I was working with child protection, but I had met my husband, my now husband, and um, you know, did the, my paperwork to come to America And after a brief stint in the hospital systems here, which was kind of, I I suppose we've all had that experience of doing work and kind of thinking, this is practice wisdom, it's not the job for me, I'm going to move on again. So I decided to actually go to the National Institute of the Psychotherapies, their trauma affiliate program, and get some advanced training in uh, integrative trauma treatment. And and from there, I, I trained in other trauma modalities like uh, EMDR and IFS and um, I started to do the deeper work with trauma survivors Um, and from there I decided you know I had already had a master's degree but I decided to study a doctorate at NYU and specialize specifically in the area of relational trauma and I only wanted to learn as much as possible about one topic. (laughs) So I was a very stubborn student. And luckily for me, my doctoral research, they invited me to publish that into a book. And then my book got transformed into a course that I teach at NYU uh, that I still teach. Um, And I have a private practice here in New York. So it it was really a journey of intuition and um, going within and what intuitively felt right. And, and when I was in um, Wicklow and Dublin doing that work, there were so many people that came to me afterwards and, you know, I'd suggest therapy and counseling and they'd say, well, can you be my therapist? And it would just break my heart that, you know, I had compassionately witnessed them and took the walk with them, but I, I couldn't serve them in the next step of their healing journey. And being with a person, uh, when they go through that journey of pain, turning their wounds into wisdom, it's a really beautiful experience and it's such an honor to have that be my work. And I think for the rest of my life, I'll forever be a student collecting different healing modalities to put in my toolbox because um, this field advances in such an amazing way. And there's always new and exciting treatment modalities and research that's being released and watching people kind of fully bloom into themselves um who they are beyond the pain. Um, I'm sure you can resonate with this through your work, but it's just a really powerful experience.
0: Wow, what a journey, what a journey, Gillian. And wow, thank you for sharing that with me and diving deeper into, you know, day to day, you know, how you mind others, as you said, you know, your work, you know, as as a therapist, as a complex trauma specialist, CPTSD, you know, how do you, again, it's it's complex and that's the whole nature of this is that it's, it's a complex kind of topic, but how do you explain you know, what is CPTSD and, you know, where it comes from?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, you know, at this point, a lot of people come to me because they know it's my speciality. So they kind of come in knowing a little bit, but how I like to describe it is that it is the, um, it's the debt by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. And complex PTSD is multiple clustered, prolonged events, often of an interpersonal nature, which means it happens in the context of relationships. Whereas PTSD, we associate with uh, a single incident trauma. Complex PTSD is more layered and nuanced. And to be honest, it's kind of insidious and hidden. Mm -hmm. And people with complex trauma, you know, these are often relationships in childhood that made them feel like they were walking on eggshells they can be chronically fearful and hypervigilant and um, they can have a lot of triggers and reactions in relations in in the context of relationships mm. and if you're chronically on edge and fearful that changes your physiology and your emotional landscape. Like if you think about it, the classic experience or the classic example that's given is that if you're in the woods and you're having a picnic and you've just eaten a big sandwich and then a bear comes out, all of your energy is going to go into immediate fight or flight hypervigilance. You're going to, you're going to not fight the bear. You're probably going to freeze or you might run, but you're, immune system will get suppressed, your digestive tract gets gets interrupted, you're hyper-oriented towards safety and getting away. And if, if that bear isn't just intruding upon your picnic, if that bear lives with you, if that bear is your parent or your partner or your lover, it no longer is adaptive to live in a place of fight or flight or freeze. What happens is you become very disassociative. And I like to call disassociation the protective fog. And when you're living in a disassociative way, there's often a loss of memories. There's a lot of time gaps and um, things are foggy and hazy and um, you feel stri- disconnected from others, disconnected from your body. Um, and there can be a lot of avoidance of interpersonal relationships and closeness. But But the painful thing about growing up in an environment where there's a lot of dysfunctional uh, behaviors and communication deviance and manipulation tactics and physical and emotional abuse or any of the above is that you develop a negative self-story. The story you tell yourself about yourself is that in some way you're bad or wrong or deserving of that abuse. And, And children have a propensity to take ownership over things that are not their fault. Yeah. So a lot of survivors of complex trauma You know, they don't feel safe in their bodies. They don't feel safe in relationships. They have a negative view of themselves. And the definition of trauma, in my opinion, is when your past intrudes upon your present. So that past history of relationships is interrupting and interfering with the life that you want to lead or or how you would live your life if you weren't so fearful, if you weren't so on edge, hypervigilant, untrusting
0: and there's a lot of shame involved isn't there because i know as as you said there a child will internalize let's say you know like if there's you know if there's a, an incident in childhood or if there a child feels that they're not being loved they're rejected uh, they're they internalize that and blame themselves
1: you're you're completely right brian you know um when it comes to shame, um, what I really like to tell clients about, because I, I like to tell them stories because it'll embed into their mind uh, and they'll remember it. Because we are we are social beings and we are storytellers. And Fairborn was a Scottish uh, psychiatrist and he researched children that were being abused and neglected. And all of these children would blame themselves. Some of them were blatantly being physically abused or emotionally neglected. With even physical markings and they all said the same story you know if i was a good kid or if i was better at this then this wouldn't happen and he started to research you know why why are they all so accountable and why are they blaming themselves and because this was 1940s scotland you know there was obviously a very religious lens so he came up with the theory the moral defense against bad objects which you've probably heard of in your work And basically what this is, is that when you're a child, you've so little control over the world and you can't really say this person is very toxic. I'm going to take a break from them. I'm going to take some space. The bullies in the schoolyard and the antagonists at home are to be tolerated with little to no choice or discernment around space or boundaries. And then, you know, because they want to have some control over their lives, children will make up a narrative of, it's my fault. They'll take ownership because if no one else is accountable, they will be accountable, and this creates an illusion or a fallacy that they live in a just and fair family system, and they have some semblance of control over the abuse, and that over ownership, over years, leads to toxic shame. Yeah. Um, and then you know, it's it's not that you leave that family system and, you know, you change your emotional map it tends to go with you into relationships into romance into even the workplace Uh, and that shame can make you very pathologically accommodating uh, overly overly accountable uh people pleasing people pleasing submissive and so that's that's kind of the roots of it and it's amazing that it's almost a hundred years ago. That theory is 80 years old, but it it just really fits, you know, when you talk about toxic shame and complex trauma. Wow. And
0: Gillian, I'm a hypnotherapist and I love that you use stories because that really does kind of get across to people like, you know, it's the best way to kind of explain something. And like, I haven't, I've had an image the last few years when I talk about this, it's like, you know, like, let's say, you know, that kind of those incidents and, you know, like those kind of faulty messages when you are a kid. Like it's the ultimate kind of stone in your shoe. Oh, do yes. mm. you know? If you ever see these movies where and someone has a kick me sign on their back.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, if you don't know, if you if you don't kind of know that you've a kick me sign on your back, if if you don't you yes. know associate the pain in your foot with a, that pebble in your shoe that was put in you know in, in childhood, you're going to keep walking and you're going to have a very sore foot. <laughs>
1: And you won't know what it's like to move through the world without the stone in your shoe, without the sign in your back, because you, it builds expectation, a level of expectancy. And, you know, we repeat rather than remember, we're very comfortable with the familiar. And then sometimes we'll unconsciously drift into situations that are familiar because as humans, that kept us safe, you know, from an ancestral point. So it's it's very damaging, you know that emotional map where you're expecting to be used, abused, manipulated; that your voice doesn't matter, and that when some when you're hurt, it's it's automatically your fault.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow, thank you for 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 sharing that and explaining that for me, Gillian. And I suppose looking at you know looking at the good news, like there is you know like there is healing from complex post-traumatic stress disorder and when someone comes to you you know again i suppose most people have done a bit of research but they are obviously in you know they're in a bit of trouble they're having kind of you know they've hit a a roadblock or a speed bump in their life there's you know something has come up in their life to, to make them kind of look at this what you mentioned some of the tools that you use how do you know which tools to use with the person you know
1: well, that's a great question. And you mentioned a few things I just want to address. One yeah. is that um, I see trauma as an injury and not a disorder. I actually wish it would be renamed to complex post-traumatic injury rather than disorder because disorder feels very permanent, like, yeah. like a wound that can never be healed. Yeah. Um, whereas I do see it as an injury. And um, there is a, a quote from Francine Shapiro that I really like, and she says, that everybody has 10 to 20 memories in their life responsible for all of the pain and processing each of those memories is like taking one log out of the fire. So when I meet someone first and they tell me their story about their life and it's kind of like watching a movie, you know, they reveal their version of events to you through their eyes. And, you know, sometimes there's what's called dramatic irony where they know more than you know more than them, but you're not saying anything. Other times they know more than you, but they're withholding information. But you're nearly always compassionately witnessing them and championing them from a place of unconditional positive regard. Mm -hmm. And what I listened to very closely in the first session or two, well, well, throughout, I, I don't stop listening for it is the negative self concept, which is just a fancy term for the I am beliefs. And you're gonna hear this reoccurring theme over and over again. It could be, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm powerless, I'm not safe, I'm not in control, it's all my fault, I'm a bad person. And then from there, I like to do a little bit of an emotional map where I will ask them to put that on a page with a timeline and tell me three to five times in their life when they were made to feel that way, but just enough to pull the memory from the filing cabinet like you're reading the headline of a newspaper. And then that string of memories becomes our targets. And in terms of you know, my toolbox, my mainframe is EMDR, and that is a trauma processing technique. And um, the World Health Organization back in 2014, you know, they said that. The only recommended modalities for treating trauma are EMDR and trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And obviously, the next time there's a big meta-analysis review, that will be updated. That changes every 10 or 15 years according to what is research-driven. So EMDR is my mainframe. And we start with finding safety in the body with, you know, different relaxation techniques that are amplified through bilateral stimulation because EMDR uses bilateral pulses on each side of the body to create a sense of safety. You can install a positive feeling state and desensitize painful, sharp emotions. However, if the person, you know, a lot of the time with trauma memories, you have one foot in the present and one foot in the past and you're compassionately witnessing yourself from a place of safety. So you're always working with multiple versions of you through time. So I use ego state therapy in the form of internal family systems, which allows you to work with your different parts of self. And I guess the easiest way of describing that is that it personifies your defense mechanisms. Your defense mechanisms might be the part of you that works too hard, the part of you that numbs out for hours online the part of you that veggies out on the couch the part of you that drinks too much the part of you that engages in risky decisions you 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 single out and uh, personify the defense mechanisms so that you can get to know them and negotiate with them and then there's always a wounded inner child and then I also integrate um somatic techniques because sometimes the trauma is unseeable and it's hard to say it out loud and the body feels the pain we don't allow ourselves to express so a lot of people come in with a lot of somatization and body-based symptoms so i i use that kind of trio really which is the body-based work the internal family systems and the emdr and i personalize my blend according to each client because everyone's experience of trauma is different you know trauma is behind clues and it's our job to explore those clues and really get to know put the pieces together and everybody's healing journey is unique and i yeah. like to offer a lot of choice where we're co-creating sessions because in the concept of synergy how you do one thing is how you do all things and i know that they will take that self-advocacy and that ability to choose and that self-awareness with them outside of the therapy room so if they do that with me, then they'll start doing that at home. And then they'll start doing that in friendships and in work and in the world. And that would make me very happy. And I, I love when I see that happening.
0: Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And Gillian, again, having a look at that, and I, I told you earlier on, I've been on my own journey and I know you talk about people kind of going on a journey of self-exploration. Mm-hmm. Now it, it's, it's, it's the most difficult one of the most difficult things you can do. And I know that from experience. And again, everyone's journey is different, but like what what are some of the main benefits? You, you touched on it there about relationships and friendships, but you know, like doing this work because it's so difficult and so many people, gaslight themselves and they're unwilling to kind of, you know, let's say talk about their childhood and you know because they're loyal to caregivers and they don't want to blame and there's lots of guilt and shame but what are the kind of some of the benefits from going through this really hard kind of journey and coming out the other side
1: That's actually a fantastic question. Um and it's it's great for a few reasons. You know, if you think about Freud's pleasure pain principle, we are all hardwired to go towards pleasure and away from pain. And most people kind of, I was actually sitting on a plane and a person was asking me, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a therapist. And, and then they say, what kind of, you know, what's your speciality? And I said, trauma. And they immediately kind of clammed up and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and I think what they were thinking was, you know, why, why would you spend your whole life going into the painful uh, events of the past? Like, Why would you, you know, dedicate your life to that? And, you know, the why, why do this? That's that's a great question. So the first thing is that the unexamined history is doomed to repetition. Mm-hmm. And we repeat rather than remember. So if there is a pattern replaying in your life, or there is the bite that fits the wound and the same old pain is getting pressed upon. Time and time again, then that's a really good invitation to go within and begin your self-study and to figure out where did you learn that from. Now, the second thing would be is that internally, you know, that internal critic or those internal defense mechanisms, we adapt to survive. You know, survival through adaptation will often prime us to, to undertake defense mechanisms. And I like to think of defense mechanisms like inflammation in the moment when the body is inflamed, it promotes blood flow. It decreases the risk of infection and it's promoting healing. But we all know that chronic inflammation in the body causes a whole host of issues Mm -hmm. and defense mechanisms are the same. They were very sophisticated and adaptive in the moment. Mm -hmm. If you learned to walk on eggshells, suppress your emotions and be very silent and submissive in a volatile, unpredictable household, that's what you needed to do to navigate safety at that time in your life. Then if you graduate from that household into the world with the same defense mechanisms, what protected you and shielded you can start to go against you. So, um, you know, in terms of the second point, one being that the unexamined history is doomed to repetition. Two is who are you really beyond your fears, beyond your defense mechanisms, beyond these learned behaviors, who is the real you? And the third one is the post-traumatic growth, that people that go through trauma, in my experience, are some of the most feeling, loving, emotionally intelligent, resilient people that have a higher capacity for resonance and attunement, and you begin to really fall in love with all of the different parts of yourself of your story and your journey and the the secrecy and the shame when you kind of shine a light in that and let another person in it takes away the potency and the power of it and you become unburdened and you become more yourself
0: wow I love that I love that and Gillian you use breath work as well could could you tell us a bit more about the breath work that you
1: yeah, so I'm actually um, a yoga teacher and um, it was a training I did because I was very interested in the theory behind yoga. I obviously I love to do yoga myself, but I realized, you know, from doing that training, I, I did it. I was already a therapist and I, I did it really for the joy of it. But I, it made me notice more about people's breathing patterns and um, in terms of you know, whether they needed more energy or they needed more grounding or they were just trying to feel embodied. It's a lovely tool to teach a client that's in their back pocket and they can take with them anywhere they go. And because I'm in New York, you know, I'll often teach someone a strategy and then I'll say the ultimate test is that If things are kicking off in the subway and if you can practice this breath work independently, then you are mastering your ability to go within. So we we kind of make a little bit of a game of it, you know, in that regard. Um, But breathing tells you so much about a person's um, ability to be with themselves. And we also always have this somatic resonance. We as human beings, we sync up with the people around us. So as the therapist, you have to be very grounded and neutral and safe and regulated in your body. And then the client, it's hoped then that the client will co-regulate with you. And if they are living in a very stressful environment and, you know, there's a lot of people that are very aggravated, when they start to regulate themselves first, you know, within, uh, then they start to see more clearly, you know, this is the baseline this mm-hmm. person that's dysregulated, this is how I feel when I'm disassociative or things are foggy or I'm emotionally flooded. And this is how I feel when I'm in my window of tolerance. And then we just try to expand how they live in that window of tolerance and how they, you know, how they move to the world and what makes them feel good in their body and what makes them feel yeah. dysregulated. Because we all have a somatic um, wisdom, or an internal compass that lets us know you know when things or people or choices feel good we have heart head coherence and when they intrinsically just don't feel good they feel out of alignment or re-traumatizing
0: i love that julie because i like I, I i do a lot of work my my own breath work and teaching breath work to clients and i i kind of explain it as like like Breathwork is like a remote control for your for your mind and your body. I like that, and I I, I love the quote. It's um don't try and control the storm, C- control yourself and inside, and the storm will pass. Because a lot of people focus externally on you yeah. know what's going on outside, and again, that can you know we know why that is. But it, it, like, as you said, if you can kind of bring that control inside because on this podcast i talk about you know self-care from the inside out like a lot of people want you know to be want to take a tablet or they want you know prescription or they want to be told what to do that's all outside in but like this that's the beauty of breath work it's it's from the inside out and you know it's giving yourself back that control and that sense of ownership and having that remote control of the hand and just out of curiosity what breathing pattern do you recommend for people when they're on the subway in new york
1: (laughs) well first off i just want to say i really like that analogy of um don't try to control the storm you know go within and control your own breathing because most people that have complex you know relational trauma and um, they are collateral damage in somebody else's hurricane you know in somebody else's uh tornado ripping through their life and yeah. for them to realize they're not creating it but they are in the pathway of destruction um, that that's actually a very powerful thing because it starts to give them permission to move out of the way or create a little bit of space and um, and not to try to control the storm. As you said, it's it's really it's actually a very powerful analogy. And um, in terms of the different breathwork techniques I do with my clients, um, I always teach them that there is a synchronicity between your breathing and your heartbeat. And if you want to slow down your heartbeat, you can do so by slowing down your breathing. So I incorporate that into the beginning stages of EMDR. It's called the RDI. It's Resource Development Installation. And it's basically, you wouldn't go mountain biking without knowing where the brakes are. So before going into any trauma memories, um, a person has positively installed the feeling state of An imagined place of comfort a container for the unwanted intrusive images and thoughts that come in you know via flashbacks or night terrors and then also the felt sense of safety and it's it's very unique to a person's situation and they all have very different um you know symptom presentations and body compositions and you notice by kind of seeing a person um you know, and how they respond, how they tell their story, how they change their bodies when they talk about particular people and events. You can really see, you know, how the trauma impacted, how they hold themselves in their body and how they breathe and how how oriented they feel to the present and the the, the, the potent, heavy, painful emotions that accompany those memories. And And then from there, you know, you start to look for what is the elixir to that wound? You know, what is, what is the feeling state or what would they have needed in that time?
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And Gillian, can you tell me what's your favorite part of what you do
1: and why? My favorite part of what I do is when I see somebody recognize a pattern first and they're like, wow, this is actually very predictable. This has happened time and time again this is the key pattern that has been governing my life. And then they get frustrated with it and they kind of say, I'm going to disrupt this pattern. Mm -hmm. And what we do is um, I use a three-pronged process where first we clear the trauma memories of the past, those 10 or 20 memories responsible for all the pain. Then we look at the present day triggers and then we use the compelling future template North Star. And when I see people go through that journey, of processing the painful memories of the past going through the present day triggers to then actively and intentionally creating a life that feels good to them that is that's wonderful because you know to quote michelangelo who carved the david you know the angel was always in the marble and i carved until i set it free i feel like i'm just sculpting them sculpting away the fears the traumas the defense mechanisms And then just releasing that person out into the world as they were always intended to be before all the pain and that's and and you know with the post-traumatic growth with with the wisdom that they learned from navigating that painful journey and the growth that they had to undertake in order to survive um and it's really it's really lovely to see that you know and it's very satisfying actually and because it's relational trauma for most of my clients a lot of them are learning to trust and they're learning to love and be loved. And I, I really like seeing my clients find love and I really like seeing them make brave, courageous choices in life um, and undergoing transformations. And I, I love when you see people kind of breaking that pattern.
0: Wow, I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Julian. And Julian, can you tell me now how you mind you... G-
1: how do I mind me? Okay. So uh, <laughs> I love yoga, love hot yoga, um, everything about it, from the breath work to the meditations to the movement. Um, I, In the recent years, i slowed down work wise, because uh, I think in New York kind of got to me a little bit and I became very work and goal oriented. And I kind of realized, you know, the the best times in life, the joie de vivre that you remember are the times you spend with friends and loved ones. And I've really slowed down and, you know, made more time for face-to-face conversations and just laughter and playfulness with friends. And I think novelty and adventure, it's always good to have something on your calendar, big or small, that is exciting, that you've never done before, that's new and interesting and sparks some curiosity. And um, so I guess those three things are big. Uh, on top of that, I'm, I'm obviously very into sleep hygiene as well. <laughs> and, and, you know, because it is a third of your life. And I feel like getting a good night's sleep and your basic, you know, physiological needs met is super important. But um, relationships are just so important. And to choose with discernment. Um, and it, they are wonderfully, you know, They're a wonderful investment of your time. Um, And when you zoom out and you look at your life and you think about some of the best moments, it is always about the relationships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with me, Gillian. Where can people find you?
1: So I am on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Facebook under the name uh, Dr. Gillian O'Shea Brown. And then on Twitter, I'm Dr. Jill O'Shea Brown. But if you Google me, um, you'll find me pretty easily. And I like to share a lot of uh, free resources for people um, journaling techniques they can do at home, meditation techniques they can do at home. And um, it's basically just a community for complex trauma healers and complex trauma self healers. And everybody's welcome. And um, I try to share as much resources as I can and be helpful.
0: Cool. Well, look, I will push some of those links to your social media onto this podcast. And Jillian, wow, thank you so much for being so kind and so generous and so honest with me today about you know your journey to to now, the, the, you know the amazing work that you do and how you mind you and best of luck with everything that you do in the future
1: and thank you so much for having me i I have to say that there's there's a simplicity to this podcast that makes it so powerful and informative and helpful in terms of the message that, that you're sharing with people and you can't take care of anyone until you take care of yourself so the fact that you keep putting that message out there around care of self is just so powerful and um I know that you're helping a lot of people with this work. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Mind You. And I hope you've learned about the benefits of holistic self-care. Please like, subscribe and follow Mind You podcast wherever you listen to it. And please share it so we can keep the ripple effect of holistic self-care going out to the world find me and mind you at brianbarneswellbeing.com and remember to mind you.